Welcome to Groove Therapy, the premier podcast exploring the intersection between live music and health and wellness with experts Dr. Leah Taylor and Tara Lee Weathers. In this podcast, you will learn how live music positively affects well-being through a combination of scientific research and personal experience from your hosts, favorite musicians, industry professionals, and fans like you. Also included are strategies to incorporate the benefits of live music into your everyday life. everyone. I am Tara Lee and I am so excited about today's episode with Elise. Aren't you so excited, Leah? I am very excited. This was such an inspirational and just informative interview. And I can't wait for you all to learn more about Elise and the Hashinista and all the things that we talk about. Yeah, you're in a treat and get ready to be inspired by like when you think your path is one thing, but it turns out to be another. But We'll let Elise explain all of that, but get ready. (laughs) Yes. So before we do that, let's do a little breathing exercise. So if it's available to you, put your hands on your heart and take a deep breath in. Exhale out. A deep breath in. Exhale out. And a deep breath in. And exhale out. And may you be inspired and open to all the magic that is about to happen to you from this podcast episode. And may you use it to make your life even more magical than it is in this very moment. And so it is. And so it is. So do you want to tell us about Elise for those of you that don't know her? I would love to. So. Today on the podcast, we have Elise McRoberts, who is a powerhouse executive with a proven track record building brands, launching products, and producing events in the highly competitive California cannabis market. She's a Cannabis Cup judge for high time since 2012 and music industry marketer who worked on tour with Dead & Co. and Nugs.net, which she talks about in this interview. And Elise started working with brands in 2013. And since the start of adult use has shaped strategy and communications for companies across all sides of the licensed supply chain, including cultivation, distribution, manufacturing, and retail. So this was such like a powerhouse conversation. I mean, talk about a powerhouse woman talking about all the things that she is passionate about and just like how she's really been able to weave all of them into a career. And it's just really inspiring and exciting and can't wait for you to hear about it. Yeah, you'll learn how she became pretty much the cannabis queen. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) We will bestow that title upon Elise. Yes, and we will be right back with Elise. Welcome back, everybody. And we are here with Elise. Welcome, Elise. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on and kind of already started chatting. We were just to the point where we were kind of chatting about live music and cannabis and how they're both really big aspects of your life and things that you use in your life for mental health and for your own wellness. And I would love to hear the story of, well, first of all, what does live music mean to you? Like, how do you use live music in your life? How has it been a part of your life? And then maybe we'll move into the cannabis. Yeah, gosh, what a loaded question. Um, But (laughs) as you were saying, music and cannabis, two words that came to mind were passion and identity and then focal points of my life. So what it's live music, it's, yeah, that was the first word that popped in. I feel like it's a huge part of my identity, really, in the sense that live music, I think, is what helped me find myself at a young age, as well as my community, as well as it's just been, it's almost like a force or its own entity in my own life journey. So I think it's hard to describe, but I can say that 
I went to my first concert with my mom, which was the B-52s at a young age. And I grew up in a family that loved music and played music. And But they weren't, it's like my mom was a deadhead. My dad, my birth father and my aunt were more the hippies. But I got into seeing live music probably around 15 and through Dave Matthews and then Fish and then the Grateful Dead and got really into the jam scene and seeing shows. And for me, it was about more than the music because it was about the community. And it was about what that community became, whether it was the, the scene outside the shows and then the, or the type of food, you know, learning about the natural food and then or different types of clothes. So that's all just before getting into the actual music and the experience of hearing it and dancing to it. And if there's visuals and, you know, the experience of shows, which the word I've always used for live music is a therapeutic release. And I think in those days, I really was a lot more lost. And so I, I didn't know then what it meant to me. I'm sure back then it was a fun party and, you know, I enjoyed the way the music made me feel. But now all these years looking back, I can see that it was really a place of therapy for me, of connecting with others and then a place of feeling truly free. And then what it means to me now as an adult, I, I can finally articulate that being in a live music experience or for me dancing in a live music experience is I think one of the few, if not only times in my life, my brain is turned off or at least, you know, not thinking. And so it's this true moving meditation. And now that I've experienced plant medicines and psychedelics and more therapeutic and ceremonial ways and sacred spaces as well, I view the live music experience as an opportunity to tap into medicine as well. And so it's just, it's so powerful. I know that was a long rant, but you gave me a big question. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah that was the perfect answer. <laughs> that's it to me in a short, you know, <laughs> in a little nutshell, I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, I love that because it's like, it's so full and it's so well-rounded and it takes us through, you know, the beginning of your live music journey at like 15 and where you are now and what you're, noticing and realizing about it. And absolutely, I mean, everybody that we talk to, the therapeutic aspects of live music is so, it comes through and it, so many people use it in that way. And I feel like not a whole lot of people have done the reflection to see that, you know, they're like, yeah, this is just something that I do. And they do it on a regular basis. But what is it, what is it adding to their life? I mean, I loved that you said that because I think I will only speak for myself here, but I could say that I think at some points in my life, I would use the word compulsion or obsession or addiction for live music and shows. I've flown across this country to follow bands and go to every single show on a tour and you know, made that basically the most important thing in my life. And I also remember the emotions that went along with, you know, gosh, having to fly from Chicago to New York for a big fish show and then the snow and you miss your flight, you're going to miss the show and all that and just how much energy it can suck if, if things aren't ideal in the live music experience. So I want to say that I'm proud to have like done the work where I've had this very happy relationship with live music where I can tap in and tap out and I see how it serves and helps me, but no longer is it a sense of compulsion and addiction, which I, at one point it was. I mean, to the point in a good way, I was so obsessed and in love with live music. I set, decided that's what I wanted to do with my career. I dropped out of college and said I wanted to work in the music industry. And I asked my friend at the time, Brad Spans, you know, hey, how can I do what you do? I could do that. I want to be running the show or, you know, getting out passes, making sure all the musicians are cool. And Brad gave me really good advice. He said, you know what, you you work at started a festival or an event. And if you're really good, a management company or a band or somebody will pick you up and take you on the road and you'll just grow. There's not really a degree you can get. Because I think at that time I was still studying business and marketing at University of Illinois, Chicago. And I took that advice and I ran with it and I started working for small independent promoters in Chicago. And then I got a gig with a management company and I won't go into the music career tangent, but I just wanted to point out that it was one of the first times in my life, actually probably the second, because I worked in fashion before that. So I guess I've always wanted to work 
within my passions. But I was in this mindset of, I'm so grateful that at a young age, I went, how can I take what I love and make it my source of income? How can I take what I love? Because all I wanted to do was fly around and be at shows and festivals, but I needed to make money. So I was like, <laughs> how, do I com- how do I combine these two? And that's where I was when I discovered the cannabis industry. And that's a whole bunch of stories, but pretty cool. I got to say that I'm so grateful for the experiences I had working in the music industry. I still utilize those lessons. I still work with many people from those relationships or not bringing it full circle into cannabis. And then I will say, I actually took time off from going to so much live music. Before I got into cannabis, I said a prayer to the universe or whatever higher power God. And I said, I really want to find my path. And I think it could be this plant path. So I promise to take all this energy I was putting into music and this music industry career, and I'll put it into cannabis and this plant journey. Just please let this be my thing or guide me. And I really, that's why I didn't go to the Baker's Dozen or there. I, I know certain like fish shows or tours that I didn't go to over the years. And it's because I was hunkered down in California building this career. What year was that that you really asked where you said that prayer? I said that prayer in 2016 and I haven't looked back. I, I would say that's where that's where it all changed because in 2016, I also was it 2016 or 2015, but I'd worked on the Dead and Company tour. And so I'd reached this high point in my music industry career of like, I am on, like I'm at the gorge and I'm at these epic, again, Dead and Company shows. I was working for Nugsnet, the streaming company, which it was the first year where the live dead webcasts were going out. And so... I'd done marketing for Nugsnet and helped them launch their app. And then I was the street team or road marketing manager for the Dead & Co. fly shows. And it was awesome to be working at that level. And as a deadhead, and that was my first time I'd worked with Mickey Hart in the past. And part of why I got that role was because of my experience working with various members of the dead. However, at the end of that tour and feeling like I'd reached a high point in my music career but at the same time was basically seen as an assistant and was broke and didn't have a next gig. I will be honest that I felt the music industry was not the most empowering place for me or for any women, but I certainly felt like I was trying so hard and consistently like climbing and climbing up this ladder to try to prove what I was capable of and what value I could bring to a team or an organization. And I felt like maybe I'd get somewhere and then I'd either get kicked down or I just wasn't seen for my true value, both by men and women in the space. And so I think I, it was just, I also remember feeling depressed in that time. And so, and having to make that switch of, okay, well, maybe it's not music, it's cannabis. And why I decided to say that prayer was I did see this light. I was given an opportunity by a woman actually in more entertainment, but she asked me to put together a panel on cannabis events for her conference in Santa Barbara called Fest Forums a woman by the name of Lori Kirby. Got to shout her out. She's really amazing. And I had never done anything like that and said to her, I don't even know how to do that. What does that mean? And she said, you pick the speakers and you set the topics and find a moderator or you do it yourself. And I said, yeah, I could do that. And as scary as it was, I did it. And I put together an amazing panel and I brought in the first cannabis sponsor to this conference that was a gathering of professional producers, people from Coachella and Sundance and AEG, you know, again, all these people that I wanted to work for my whole life in a way. And so this cannabis panel winds up being a huge hit and well-received. And I think it was possibly the first time where I ever felt that like I was seen and that I was respected and, and that I had this recognition from again, peers or people that I wanted to work with or for. And so that there's this light bulb of, oh my gosh, yeah, it's not music. It's weed. That's your thing. Yeah, that's kind of that. Yeah. I have a question too, because so before you said when you went to see live music, it was obsessive and like addicted to music. So now that you have this amazing, magical career with cannabis, how do you use live music shows now? Is it totally changed or? Yes, that is such a good question. I'm psyched to answer it because... 
I said I became obsessed and then I was chasing the career, right? And so what that did was it gave me justification to go to all these festivals and shows and spend on the expenses and go, well, I'm networking, I'm finding my next gig and going into credit card debt and, you know, and then also maybe ending up there and having more fun than networking or then to get into cannabis and stop, basically just stopped requesting tickets or didn't really go to shows for years to come back when I finally went to a fish show, I flew out to MSG one year just for New Year's, like on a total last minute, like I was at the Sweetwater, literally on the 30th or something or 29th, and then decided to fly out to MSG. That might have been 2016 going into 2017, or it was 2015 going into 2016. So it was around that time. Another, I could just point out some key moments where and it's always around Fish because I think Fish was the one band where I always felt like a true fan. A lot of the others, not that I wasn't a true fan, but I guess, yeah, Fish is like, okay, I'll use the Dead, for example. Like when I was working on Dead and Company tour and all Deadheads out there, please forgive me, don't take it the wrong way. But I mean, when I was done with work, I was not out there dancing. I was like falling asleep during Casey Jones and backstage in a car because I find Dead and Company boring, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't find... But J-Rad, you know, Leah, Leah knows, you'll find me in the pit, on the rail, like, my mind. So it's just like, it's a music thing. I like them more like, I'm a rocker, I need more. Totally. I mean, I, I feel the same way. That's why I love Fish too. <laughs> like, and J-Rad. Give me the energy. Give me some energy. Here's what it is. I felt like, Part of what hindered me in getting to where the career I wanted in music is that I was always seen as a fan or even, God forbid, a groupie or whatever, you know, because I'm a young girl and maybe I have a hula hoop or however I'm dressed. But so then because I was pursuing a career, I felt like I had to work extra hard to not be seen as a fan or a groupie. And so a lot of shows, I wasn't enjoying myself or fully present because I was focused on being something. So then when I came back and I felt like, okay, I've established myself in weed. I don't need anything from anybody at these shows. And I don't care if you think I'm a groupie or a fan or dancing too hard, or you don't like my outfit because I don't need you. That that was so freeing. And so it's really since then, yeah, I show up differently. I show up just getting to be. And I am grateful for that. And then even though a little full, full circle, because one thing that my company does, Hashanista, as I specialize in backstage catering, backstage cannabis catering for artists and crews, which started as the, since the beginning of time or cannabis time for me, I've been bringing my favorite artists and friends curated assortments of cannabis for their shows before or after. So now in, in just a little bit, you know, I try to stay professional on that in terms of like, want to make sure everyone's getting what they need, but then I still just go enjoy the show. Or in some cases, I could do that for an artist and not have to stay at the show. So it's not like I have to do that for bands I am a fan of. But that's that's the biggest difference for sure. It's like just getting able to be free and enjoy. And also staying out of the drama. Because when you're like on tour for with a bunch of others who it's their whole life, there can be a lot of drama. <laughs> yeah. So now you just get to be you and experience the music however you want and choose to without like expectations or strings or anything. It's just like really showing up as what you might desire from that therapeutic release of the music without anything else. Yes. And it took 23 years to get here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, I actually made the decision last night not to go to a show because I have work to do today. And like, it was super easy. I have friends staying in my house that were going to see Lettuce last night. And I went on Friday and I actually even had a free ticket last night. And I was like, you know what? They were going to go to the Boom Boom Room late night. I was like, I don't, I need to like be focused today. And it's a hard decision to make, but... Same, I would have... Almost gone to that show, same Friday, Saturday with my girlfriends who were all going. And I just went, I know this is crazy because the old Elise, you know, would be there and with dabs for the guys and with all the things. But I was literally like, I have a podcast interview Sunday. I'm going to Miami. I want to look and feel my best. And if I go, exactly, I know exactly what happens if I go to the Fillmore and go to the Boom Boom Room. <laughs> 
yeah, wow, same decision, you know, and and that's okay, right? You know, I will also say that I think some of the work I've done is with my ego around thinking I needed to be at every show because I felt that it mattered that much to other people if I was there, you know, like, because you're in so many cases, we're going to see our friends or supporting them. Or if you're up front or like, yeah, there are many people, many musicians and bands who I'm grateful and honored would say like, Oh, I love seeing you out there. Or it makes it, it's such a nice thing to see you there and what you bring in. And then, so if someone personally invites you or offers to put you on the list, even that, like to say, I just for a long time could never say no. And because again, I think thinking it meant so much to others and wanting to be there myself. And so, yeah, a lot of the work I've done is like, it's okay to not be at every show, right? (laughs) Like I'm not that important. You know what I mean? Like it's okay. And that's a beautiful thing too, you know, because FOMO is real. And again, back to my talk on obsession and compulsion. Yeah. There was time where I just felt like an identity to be at every show or to at least the ones in our community. And, but man, much love for lettuce. We love lettuce. Totally. Totally. And I had an amazing time at Friday night and it was hard to say no to Saturday, but yeah, it doesn't mean that we love the bands any less no. if we're not at every single thing. Like being in a band myself now, a couple of my friends didn't go to our show. That was yesterday. They're like, oh my gosh, I missed the show. I was so tired. I went skiing all day or whatever. And I was like, I don't expect you to come to every single show that I put on. <laughs> like I'm grateful when you're there, but I don't expect you to go to everything. And yeah. <laughs> That's so healthy, Tara Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even like the late night shows, like after like a fish show, if there's a band late night, I am like a lot of people put me on their guest list and I'm like, you can, if you want, I cannot promise I'm going to go. Cause usually after a show, like I just can't go to another show. So if there's someone else that you know, for sure is going to come, you should put them on. Cause I'm not hundred percent sure that I'm going to go. And that's felt really empowering to do. And also to let them know, like, cause I am a recovering people pleaser. So I feel like I will like let them down if I don't go to the show. But now I'm like, hey, this is this is how I feel. And they're really appreciative of that. Yep. Yeah. I'm working on that too. Being okay with potentially disappointing people. It's huge. And something to like reclaim energy from because when it's all like focused out that way and worried about what everybody, how everybody's going to be reacting, then we're outsourcing a lot of our power. It makes us such good givers, though. I mean, I felt like you said it best there, Charlie, because you are a performer yourself and you don't have those expectations on your community because you know what it's like. And that's something I carry with. It's a little different. But, you know, like I said, I'm going to the conference, I'm speaking on a panel. And I've many times at conferences had friends go, Sorry, I missed your panel, or I'll try to be there. I literally say, you don't have to wait. You're we're in Miami at a conference. Enjoy yourself. I don't expect you to listen to me speak on stuff that you probably know. You know, it's okay. So Elise, do tell us like how things have kind of gone since that first panel that you put together. Like where has it gone since then? And yeah, you had a prayer and then you were on a panel and then what's happened next? <laughs> and then, yeah, right. Well, my first job in the industry was being a CMO, chief marketing officer for a delivery service in San Francisco that was getting their license. So when I said that prayer in 2016, that was the year that Prop 64 passed in California. And so that meant that we were going to be making the switch from medical to fully adult use legalized. And so that meant there was a lot of opportunity. And so for the next few years, a lot of opportunity and a lot of startups. So I worked with a lot of different companies from 2016 through 2018, primarily as an executive, a CMO. And that's what was crazy to me. I said, I went from being an assistant in the music industry to being a C-suite executive in cannabis, even though I was still traditionally hired by mainly men and would be the first female on the team or the first female executive I definitely got to say and shout out the men in cannabis for being more open to female leadership. At least this is my experience. And women, supporting women is such a huge, huge part of cannabis. But so I basically dove in to cannabis and wound up building brands and crafting marketing strategy and producing events 
was interesting. The first panel I curated and spoke on was about cannabis events. And to be honest, you guys, I hadn't really produced many at that point, but I was seen as an expert on them because no one had really. So I had done some and I had been a cannabis cup judge for years. But then very quickly that changed and I produced my first large scale event in 2017. The reason I did not go to a single baker's dozen show and I can remember feeling like so upset that I wasn't in New York and couldn't be there and saying to myself, it's okay because in five or 10 years, you're not going to care and you will have put yourself on the map with this never before done event, which was called the NorCal Canna Cuisine Gala, which was a concept I created and pulled together an executive producer. I remember this. <laughs> yeah. So again, talking about merging of the passions, you know, so I, in music, I was doing marketing. I worked for management companies, like I said, Nugsnet, the app, and I was either helping organizations, bands sell tickets or sell albums or create revenue streams. And so I brought all that to cannabis. I literally just went from, as I say, selling music, just selling weed, but in creative ways. And it's really about creating community. So the NorCal Canna Cuisine Gala, which is an event I'm still so proud of, it was the first of its kind and possibly still the largest farm-to-table dinner with optional THC infusions. It was a totally alcohol-free event with two different cannabis cocktails. I had the Julia Child of Weed, Jeff the 420 chef as my chef. Steve D'Angelo, who's the godfather of the industry, as former mayor Willie Brown called him, was my guest of honor and a speaker. I had Moon Alice play. Steve Parrish was at the event. Scott Guberman, Jeanette Faber, Darren Nay, DJ Logic. So again, like pulling together my friends and my music past, if you will, or community to be who supported me, really. I mean, all of those people in a way, because this was going to first event, pretty small budget. So it's not like I had what I needed to pay all of those bands. And so I really got to shout out Roger McNamee and Moon Ellis and all those musicians, DJ Logic and Darren and them for showing up and playing. Barry Sless played. And it was a beautiful dinner with speaking and music and really celebrating outstanding entrepreneurship and our culture. And then after dinner, sampling, uh, which was dabbing, smoking, edibles, tea, gift bags, everyone dressed up. And my motor, we made the Sunday night news and I got a lot of great media. And it was just really a proud moment for me to have a successful event that brought joy and value to so many when I think I'd spent my whole life going to others' events and collecting joy or soaking that up. And since then, I've produced a lot of events, all different kinds. One with a fellow Vermonter, Lizzie Post. I did an event with her for her book release, Higher Etiquette, because she'd interviewed me for the book. So I'll just say since 2017, now we're in 2023, I've produced so many different events all around wanting to bring people together with cannabis to learn, educate, connect, destigmatize, whether it's a female focused event like that Lizzie Post one with Nikki Lestretto, or most recently last year, I was helping Madame Cannoli, Frenchie Cannoli's widow, with the release of the Frenchie Cannoli documentary. Events have really become, I should say, I've always becoming more of my focus because I just feel that as more places come online with cannabis, we still have so much work to do. Honestly, people, in my opinion, are still, if you're not in the industry or this bubble that I say we're in, or in the culture in some way, you don't really know a lot about cannabis or, and it's now just all these, you know, new products and things pushed out there. So I'm really passionate about continuing to do the work that educates really, is that's what I feel is what's missing. And community is cannabis, like music is such a community driven force really more than it being the plant the force of the cannabis movement is driven by our community and our connections so sorry i keep going on long rants but (laughs) that's me with weed (laughs) we like it we like to hear it all (laughs) and then i worked for a lot of different companies doing marketing sales branding and i landed with doc greens which is an amazing company that i'm sad to say no longer exists what i'm trying to stay away from in this interview is the sad truth that the cannabis industry in California is on the verge of collapse. And a lot of these amazing, amazing 
legacies, craft small companies have gone under don't exist. And I was a product of that. So this amazing company that I led, I joined them in 2018. We launched in 2019, Doc Greens. We were a solventless brand out of Berkeley. We had live rosin, live rosin infused pre-rolls and live rosin vapes. We won the Emerald Cup last year. Such a huge high honor. Congratulations. Thank you. But by the time I won the cup, the company was already not operating and out of the market. Although East Coasters, I hear they might pop up in New Jersey in a year or two. So keep an eye out. Um, But I had left Doc Greens in 2021 to focus on Hashinista, my own brand and company, which like I've always done in this space consulting for, I've always focused on the legacy operators, the sun-grown, the small businesses, the women and minority and BIPOC-owned businesses, really wanting to champion legacy, craft, equity. And so Hashinista, when I stepped away from my full-time role as CMO at Doc Greens, I immediately began consulting for others like My High, which was a THC stir stick, and then Terpogs, which is an award-winning other uh, live rosin producers. And I since have specialized in helping companies launch, brand or rebrand, grow while building out Hashinisa and then the independent event production. So coming full circle where we are now, and as I mentioned, a lot of companies in this state are struggling, I've been able to focus on Hashinista. And Hashinista isn't just cannabis, it has this fashion element. So that is an amazing, I want to say, not saving grace, but I feel very lucky that I have more than just cannabis to focus on now, given the hardships that are going on in our industry and because of the federal issues too. And I feel... Again, this will probably be the saddest thing I say in the interview because I want to stay positive, but there's an immense, brutal feeling of powerlessness with this industry and plant because there's so much beyond our control. And what took the amount of learning I had to go through to get here, I mean, just the amount of work that we're all still doing to not just put those truths out there and have people see, but then the work we're still doing to get people out of jail or okay to even try to build an industry that is more equitable. It's amazing that the equity program was created in San Francisco and Oakland to give those who are disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs ideally, you know, a chance in this industry, but it hasn't worked out that way. And as we saw, you know, there's giant corporations exiting this industry. So with billions of dollars, so I see how just giving somebody a free license without any education or funding can be not necessarily a solution. Sorry, that's a whole nother combo, but I want, I have to keep it real. Totally. And I mean, That's really important to talk about. And do you think that that is just a California thing or is that a legalization? Because I know every state is written differently. It's unfortunately not a California thing because it happened in Oregon and Colorado as well. It seems that legalization brings a lot of excitement and a lot of profiteers and green rushers and people who think there's opportunity to make money who have no connection to the plant. What that does is create this terribly competitive, inequitable market that really pushes out the people who built the industry. And I'm the over-regulation and taxation pushes out the consumers who would have supported the industry. And those consumers end up in a traditional market, whereas the new consumers who are buying these new products that aren't from legacy people that might not, that are definitely not as quality, don't even shop enough or aren't enough to sustain an industry. So it's a terrible, vicious cycle. I will be very curious to see what New York looks like in four years. I mean, pro tip for anyone, I think the theory is you got to go to new markets and make your money and establish yourself in the first two to three years and then be already into the next market. (laughs) So holler to my East Coast people listening. I'd love to come work with you. (laughs) Yes, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. So, but you know what? That being said, 
we will survive. We've always survived. We are warriors. We are the outlaws and the people who've been doing this before it was trendy, before it was legal, before it was cool. And the people who were never about the money, this isn't about money for me. So I'm not going anywhere. I will continue the fight and continue to working with and championing those that I believe should be championed, you know, the true medicine makers and plant people as I call them. And we'll make it through. It's just, yeah, I will say in 2018, oh my gosh, or even probably 2017, like we all thought we were going to be so rich and it was going to be like, Woo! Legal week. <laughs> and, and now it's like, okay. Honestly, I think psilocybin and the psychedelics industry is being fast-tracked faster than cannabis. It's more mainstream accepted and now there's more investment money available in psychedelics and more opportunity for companies than cannabis. Yeah, you know, as you were speaking, that's where my mind was going because that's kind of the next like legal, but right now there's a lot more regulations around it and the way that it's done. But it's happening. I mean, I didn't really go into the what Hashinista is and but Hashinista, which I am the Hashinista, but anyone could be a Hashinista. You're a Hashinista if you love cannabis and you love quality and you love craft and you love fashion or aesthetic and expressing yourself in a way that brings joy to others. And if you care as much about what you put in your body as what you put on your body, you're a Hashanista. Cool. I'm a Hashanista. I'm a a Hashanista. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you are. And how I became one, or I invented the word because it was interesting. I was kind of known for my love of fashion, cannabis fashion to be specific. I always have my different, I'm not decked out today, but you guys, ladies have seen me on the internet or in person. I usually have, you know, all my like Ross Boss, which is cannabis leaf and nug jewelry and gold. Uh, Basically I'm loud and proud with my aesthetic and you could basically look at me and know I love weed usually because it's in my fashion. And I was always known for having the hottest cannabis fashion and, and while at the same time being a huge dabber and the CMO of a solventless company and an Emerald Cup judge of solventless. And so a hash, hashinista became, it's like, oh, fashion hash. And what it's grown into is pretty cool because like I said, it then evolved from working with one solventless company to now I've worked with so many, I'm proud to say of the award-winning top solventless companies here. And can you tell our listeners what it means to be a solventless company? my gosh, thank you. So yes, when it comes to cannabis concentrates and dabbing, cannabis concentrates, aka extracts, we're talking about the resin of the cannabis plant. We're talking about hash, right? So hash being the oldest form nowadays, modern hash is live rosin or it's live resin. So you can make hash either with a solvent or it's solventless. Solvent-based extracts the solvent is often butane, hexane, pentane, CO2, could be anything. For short, it's often called BHO because it's butane hash oil, but that's live resin. And those are chemicals, right, that are used to separate the resin from the plant. And then even though they're all purged out, that is how you get that concentrate. Now, a solventless concentrate is just like it sounds. No solvent is used to separate that resin from the plant matter. Therefore, it never has to be purged. So it's just the most natural way to make hash and the original way of making hash, which was solventless, you know, just collecting the resin from the plant. But the modern way is most or all live rosin is made and defined as the plant is fresh frozen, her peak form right before harvest or right when she should be harvested. She's cut, they flash freeze it to preserve all those terpenes, flavonoids, all the volatile compounds that are so volatile that they're coming off all the time. And then that fresh frozen plant matter is washed like ice water hash, collected the traditional way. And then the ice water hash is freeze dried and then pressed into live rosin using minimal heat and pressure. So just taking that hash, putting it through the plates and uh, through these mesh bags and this golden, sappy, beautiful concentrate comes out. And then depending on the producer, everyone has their own method. Sometimes it's released as is called fresh press. Others will put that in 55 degrees and do what's called a cold cure and let the 
live rosin sit and the cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids will cure in the jar and you'll start to see separation of like white and then a golden layer, as we say, of terps on top. And then that is what eventually gets packaged and put out to market for live rosin. But so solventless, aka live rosin or the hash world or hash heads are obsessed with the uh, solventless because the cleanest and in many opinions, I mean, there's a lot of debate on this, but my, we say it's the cleanest, purest expression of the plant and the closest to flower. It's basically like when you dab that or what you smell is what you taste when you dab. And what you're tasting when you dab is almost like what you smell at that fresh flower, you know, or fresh bud on the farm. So it's a beautiful experience. There's a lot of nuances and you just really get the most flavor and then and terpenes and the terpenes, how those affect the effect. As we know, it's not just THC. So many, myself included, just believe the experience of dabbing live rosin to be superior or dabbing anything solventless to be superior to a solvent-based extract. But that is a debate that could be its whole own show. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But you are talking to the hashinista, so of course, I mean, it's part of my ethos that I'm passionate about the hash and the solventless. That being said, because I have so many friends who make live resin and amazing BHO, I'm not here to knock it. I am just here to explain the differences. There is great BHO, there is clean BHO or live resin. So that's not what I'm here to say. But I am here to champion solventless and solventless is often made from sun-grown flour. You often need a higher quality input material to have good solventless. It's just the more, it's the true artisan product. And I fell in love with it because I, like I said, I was a CMO at Doc Greens. And so to be a good chief marketing officer, it's my job to be able to communicate to the consumers, right? And educate them and to be able to take what the founders and the scientists and the testers all this stuff that I'm taking in and turn that into digestible information. And I needed to be an expert on it. And so at that time, I was researching, trying to become an expert on solventless in 2018. And there, it was so new, there really weren't that many articles. So I got to shout out the Dank Duchess. She was one of the first writers and I learned from her. Nick T. he coined the word solventless. So through me educating myself and learning about this craft and the way this hash is made, I fell in love with it and was like, wow, this is really cool. This is what I'm about. And I've run with it because I also always felt like a girl in the boys club because weed in a way is almost, it's very male dominated. But when you get into concentrates and extracts and dabbing, it's the niche of the niche. And Hashinista is intentionally feminine with the colors and the branding and the aesthetic, even though men are Hashinistas too. But that's intentional because I want to make the concentrates, hash, and specifically solventless space more accessible to women. And it not in this like mean girls click way, like be a cool girl to learn about it, but more like the cool older sister, like you can dab with me and I'll teach you. And here's a small, like a micro low temp dab and there's nothing to be scared of. And there's no dumb question. And you're welcome here because that's definitely, I don't think the experience that many have had. And so many people like edibles have a bad first dab experience or see it as scary or cracky or this blowtorch. And so I and Hashinista are here to educate on the extreme benefits and beauty of cannabis concentrates. And if you are a connoisseur, then also, you know, Hashinista is a trusted place and space for you to know you're amongst. Oh, and then there's the whole fashion element, which means like I partner with designers that I've been championing for years, I now at my events represent them. So in Miami, I'll have different jewelry and items for sale. And what that's leading to is, of course, the original Hashinista products, which will hopefully later this year be dropping. The Hashinista collections, both in cannabis and fashion and beyond, are all collaboration-based. So one of my first fashion items will be a collaboration with High Society Collection, 
woman owned handmade jewelry in Portland will be co-creating and releasing the small runs of jewelry together. And same thing with my cannabis products. I won't say who they're with yet, but when I release pre-rolls or live rosin, it will all be in collaboration and, you know, small runs or batches, if you will. And ideally with female founded and owned companies, but they can't all be women because there's a lot of great men doing great things too. So I'll be champ partnering with some of those companies too. And the exciting thing about Hashinisa is I don't have to stay in California. It's a brand that can be nationwide as well as worldwide. And I'm really excited. And what I've learned just in getting it out there these past few months more is it's really about having something for everyone. So I have the jewelry and I have I have this full spectrum because it starts at I have something CBD because I do work with hemp CBD brands as well and skincare companies, for example, like Green Bee Botanicals. So I have that and then I have, you know, an edible or something microdose and then I have, you know, all the dabs, live rosin and then there's the fashion in between. So a Hashinista experience is really about offering or creating a space where you don't even have to consume cannabis to enjoy the space or the experience. And it's almost like a, the Trojan horse of like fun and flashy, but you're really learning, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. I like that. Sometimes people need to be drawn in by that and then they can be educated and then they leave learning more than they did when they came in. And that's awesome. Yeah. And then of course the dancing will be a big part of it. You know, like, as you know, I'm a hoop dancer. And I started fire hooping in 2019 and I now get paid to perform. I never, like when I first started hoop dancing, I'm totally self-taught. It was just this hobby. And I even feel like it's silly and stupid at times, or I did, or I felt like I would get the stigma, like not everyone likes hoopers. And I just always like run with, it's just always been my thing, right? That I just do kind of in the background. And then I started putting myself out there on Instagram. And that's what led to someone inviting me to perform here in Marin County, a woman, and also like going back to women supporting women. And that opened my eyes to this whole world of the performers and the circus area. And I have this whole other life and world, you know, with that community and how I'm bringing that into cannabis or trying to tie it all together has been really fun too. And part of the message I'm trying to put out there because it's part of my journey is proving that we can be all things as women because I think I hid my hoop dancing and my hula hooping for so long because of this that judgment I felt or stigma. And I think, I don't know if it's with getting older or maturity, but I think I finally was like, F it. And you know, I love this and I want to put it out there. And then just that little bit of positive feedback from a fellow woman and then being invited and being around other real performers, like how much permission that gave me to step into my own joy and love for dance. Like, I think that's really, really cool. So yeah, I know you're, you're a movement lady. So I just felt like I wanted to share that because that's definitely a new thing that for me, because I started performing in 2019, but I really started owning being a performer and getting paid just last year. And it's one of my goals for this year to take it more seriously. And it's really cool because it's a journey, really taking something that was just for fun and not, you know, it's not, again, not about revenue, but it's about getting valuing myself for the 12 plus years I have. And, and taking that and allowing it to be seen as art, as opposed to something silly, again, just giving myself that permission. So well, I want to put that out there for anyone who's like got something that they love to do, but they feel stupid or silly or like other people don't get it. Who cares? Keep doing it forever because you never know. Like <laughs> Even if other people don't get it, you'll get to the point yourself where you just don't care. And that might be when your miracle happens where whatever might... You know, like, it's not like I need to perform to feel validated with hoop dancing. I want to make that clear because it's again, not about making the money, but it is so cool to be able to take something that just started as again, whatever, and to now have it be a true performance and also feel in my heart that like, I really do have this. And if God forbid, I ever wanted to like quit everything and just be a dancer, like, I feel like that's another life path for me. 
And the more we as humans are able to tap into our full dimensional selves and realize that we're not one dimensional beings and we're not meant to just be one thing is so freeing and so important. And that's definitely, definitely my journey. Cause that's, like I said, something I've been, I think, struggling with my whole life as a woman is these constructs of you're either sexy and pretty or you're smart and successful or you're a strong boss, but you can't be all of the things. Mm-hmm. But you can. And here you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're so inspiring in so many ways because you like are constantly trying to collaborate and connect your live music love is still a part of what you're doing now and you're women helping other women. And that's part of what you're doing now. And you're performing with the who like every it's like everything you've ever done is part of what you're doing now. And you're also working on like helping other people and empowering them and also like bringing money to them and supporting them. So it's really, really cool to see that. But it's so inspiring. And I think that is like a huge part of this, this whole interview. Like, yes, it was about cannabis and how important that is. But it's like, that's just your avenue for delivering your brand of awesome to the world. And we're so happy that that you chose that and that you're here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a continuous work in progress, I feel. But I feel super grateful to at least feel a lot more clear on my path and my gifts. And... That's really cool because I definitely just the other day I was thinking, looking back and remembering that I didn't always know, right? We didn't, I don't know about you ladies, but did you always know what you want to do with your (laughs) life? No. Right? So yeah, I was just like, wow, okay. And And I'm still out here and I'm still doing it because like any, I'm just on the entrepreneurial front. I have doubts every single day, if not multiple times a day. And I literally even said to one of my best girlfriends the other day, huge music fan too. So many of my women and people are all like music people. I also just got to put that out there. Like how many of our friendships in our community are people we met at, at shows. But I said to her, just, I'm like, do you think my company idea is stupid? She's like, what? And I said, I don't know. Like, is it dumb? Like, is that what you're thinking? But you wouldn't tell me. She's like, of course I would tell you. I said, no, you wouldn't want to hurt my feelings. But anyways, I felt like I just needed to ask that because that's, you know, sometimes my head goes there. So much of being an entrepreneur is trusting your vision and go, go, go. But I think what people don't share or aren't aware of is how much like of that involves either pushing past doubt or pushing out the doubt and just continuous self-belief and asking your community for support or, or, and honestly, like knowing that even if there isn't any support or anyone who believes in you, that that's not necessary. And the part of being an entrepreneur and a visionary is doing things that other people might not understand or make no sense, but you just keep pushing along. Yeah. But I help people start businesses. And what I tell them is, what you're saying of how you think your idea is stupid or that everyone's going to hate it or whatever, that is completely normal and happens to every single person. And when you have, like, that's why you have to have support. Because if you're just left to your own devices, you're just going to like spiral into that and really start to believe it. So sometimes you do need the external support of people that just believe in you and can hold space for you to be like, okay, yes, you are feeling this way. That's normal. And now let's move on. such an essential role you have, Terry. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it funny how I've like been a coach for others too. And it's interesting. I would catch myself being a good coach or saying things to a client that I'm going, I really should say this to myself. But... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we all need support, even if we're supporting others. And I think it's really important to like, tell the truth that this route is, while it can be highly rewarding, there's also, there's challenges every day that come with it. And you have to choose to show up every single day and like do the hard things. And then you get rewarded and it's amazing. And and it's so beautiful that you've really been able to like bring all aspects of yourself together. It was like you had to take a moment to like push pause on an aspect of yourself with the live music so that you could really focus on gaining traction in the field that you wanted to gain traction in. And you did that and you made that commitment and then you were like able to kind of bring it in and now you're bringing in your hooping and 
putting that into it. And it's just like more and more just really activating and showing up as all aspects of yourself. And that's so beautiful. Oh, thank you. It's a good life, even though it's hard because no life is not hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have any last words before, before we go? Oh my gosh, I feel like we've covered a lot. Can I tell people where to find me? If- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You can find The Hashinista on Instagram, the H-A-S-H-I-N-I-S-T-A. And yeah, please find and follow me there, which will lead you to the whole Elise McRoberts and Hashinista world. But yeah. Yes. So follow The Hashinista. Give me a follow on The Hashinista so you can stay up with me and know where I'm going to be popping up. Hopefully I'm taking the Hashinista on tour this year. I mean, back to live music. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if anytime there's a show or festival that I want to be at, the Hashinista is there. And so like, I'm just going to throw some dreams out there. That's what I want to end on. Okay. Well, we know your prayers work. So why don't you say a prayer right now? Ah, okay. <laughs> well, I have a big dream on the hoop side that someday I'm going to fire hoop or hula hoop for Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. queen, right? Mm-hmm. In the Savage Fenty fashion show. And that's a, a big dream too is collab. But I would love to see the Hashinista boutique and experience pop up at places like Peach Music Festival or Lock-In or keep an eye out for a Hashinista setup on Fish Lot that might be out there in the future. So... And whether that's fashion, CBD, cannabis, yeah, I want to be able to bring me and all of these offerings to the communities and places that I want to be anyways, right? Yeah. Well, I'm super excited a couple of years from now when we have you back as a guest and be like, remember when you put that out there in 2023? And look, it's happening now. (laughs) I'm so excited for that too. Ladies, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to see you in person in April for sure. Well, Terry, hopefully, hopefully I make it to Seattle. Leah, I might see you before then if the right show pops up where we're both inspired. But yeah, I just want to thank you both so much for the conversation and really, you know, shout you out, Tara Lee, because I remember when I first learned about you and I just thought it was so cool to like see a woman like you living in your truth and doing these things that to me at that time seemed wild, like the healthy hippie, like, wait, what did you do? (laughs) And yeah, I just, so props, props to that. And Leah, knowing about like, or learning what you wrote your PhD dissertation on like, wow, like you're such a badass that I didn't even realize. So it's an honor to be in conversation with you both. And thank you for sharing your platform with me. And I just look forward to connecting more. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so looking forward to that too. And we'll be right back, everyone. All right, everybody, we are back after that super inspiring interview. It's just like, I I love doing these interviews so much. We just get to talk to the coolest people and like about things that they're so passionate about and we're so passionate about. Yeah, it was so contagious. It really is. It's awesome. I highly recommend having this level of conversation with people because it's like... Talk about health and wellness. This is definitely an aspect of my health and wellness is talking to cool people about cool shit. (laughs) Yeah. Favorite thing to do. I guess that's why we have a podcast. (laughs) That's why we do what we do. That's why we show up here. Yeah. We're like, yo, we're professional at this. Yes. Yeah. Well, in this, you know, we covered so much ground in this interview. We talked about live music. And again, like, I love how with people who are like some of the most passionate top fans of live music, how, you know, when we talked to Annabelle and she's like on her timeout from live music and she's like, you have to find the sweet spot. Right. And Elise talked about that too. And I'm, learning and practicing that in my own life. And Tara Lee, we just talked about how you're doing a version of that in your life too. You know, like getting it all in. 
Yeah. Right right now I'm getting it all in because I'm going to Mexico and I'm seeing fish there. So that will be like a big shebang. But after that, Mexico doesn't necessarily have the like biggest music scene and the kind of music I like. I'm definitely going to be seeing like a lot of cover bands and things like that. <laughs> but there's definitely no like neighbor of Mexico that I know of. <laughs> Which is who I saw yeah. the past three nights. So yeah, so I'm getting it all in now because then I'll have a break. Which is like when I go to Costa Rica, when I go to Nicaragua, like that is a break because it's just not even an option there. And it actually feels kind of good. And then when I come back, I appreciate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a recharge. I mean, there has to be a balance. Like what Elise was talking about with the addiction part of live music is so true. And that is because actually of the way that it changes our brain when we're there. Like the dopamine that comes out when we see live music and all of the really happy chemicals that get elicited. And maybe I'll talk about this for the... Did you know? So when we are at live music, the way that it creates change in our brain is by activating chemicals in our brain that are then released into our bodies. And one of those is dopamine, another is serotonin. Then there's actually endocannabinoids region that is activated, which is not just happening when you smoke cannabis. We actually have our own endocannabinoids in our brain that get activated through dancing and movement. And so when that happens... It's like our body gets flooded with these happy chemicals and then we get rewarded by that. And the problem comes when if and when we don't have those ways to activate those chemicals in our everyday life, then we begin to think that we only can get it at live music because it's such a high, it's such a rush. It's such a like, there's so many things that are happening. It's not just the music itself. As Elise said, you know, there's the community aspect. There's the other people. There's like the friendships that are cultivated there. And then there's like, some of us like to, you know, not disappoint people. And so there's all of that working through. But the happy chemicals that are released in live music was not actually what I was going to talk about for the did you know, but I think that it's really important to point out because while a lot of people in our society would not necessarily realize how addictive the experience can be, I think as any live music fan who uses music in a therapeutic way because of the way that it makes us feel and the positive effects that are happening in our body, we also need to be aware that we can become addicted to that. And then, you know, too, because there is the involvement of other people, it's not just the music that is eliciting that in our brain that's creating those changes. But then there's the relational aspect as well. And whether that is then we get kind of addicted or attached to the people who are making the music, which I know is also a thing that happens. And then you get that look, that connection from them. And it's like, oh my God, I want that more. I want that more. Or you become friends with them and you don't want to disappoint them by not being there because you add such a vibe to the show. It's like a whole thing. And so I want you to just know that there is a chemical reaction that's happening in your brain. But then there's also the relational aspect that's kind of adding on other layers to why it becomes hard to say no to live music and why that drive to see live music can be so large and feel so big. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's like, it's all about how you're using anything. Anything can be healthy and it could also be unhealthy for you depending on how you're using it. Just like cannabis, it's like medicine and therapy for some people and then other people are addicted and it's like not good for them. And so you just really have to think about how you're using the live music experience. Yeah. Also how you're getting that in other ways in the rest of your life too. Because when you have that huge rush of dopamine and serotonin and endocannabinoids and endorphins only from the live music experience and you don't have like even just little drops, you know, throughout your day, throughout your week, throughout your month, 
then your brain is going to attach, oh, I can only feel this way here. I need this to get back to it. Yes. So is that your did you know? Because I have a daily jam if you want to. That's right. my did you know. <laughs> I'm changing it up. All right. I like it. Well, I, I got something for... Daily Jam. So... Speaking of getting those dopamine hits and feeling good on a daily basis when you're at home and so you don't only need to get that from the show, I want you to think about the feelings that you feel when you're at a show and actually name them. Is it bliss? Do you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? Do you feel expressed? What is it that you feel at shows that makes you keep going back over and over again? What is that feeling? And it could be one feeling, it could be five feelings, but just name those feelings and then figure out how to bring those feelings into your everyday life in the mundane activities that you're doing on a daily basis. So say that it's feeling expressed. When you're in the shower, how can you feel expressed? Can you sing a song at the top of your lungs? Can you dance really fun to a show while you're in the shower? Maybe it's feeling more connected when you're driving to work. Can you feel just more in the present moment and connected to everything around you when you're making meals for your kids or when you're getting dressed? Like, how can you feel more expressed when you're getting dressed? Maybe you have to wear a uniform, but you have like tie dyed underwear or like sparkly socks on or something. So, really, just being intentional with bringing those feelings into your daily life. And that will allow you to feel that and not need to use a show to feel that because you'll be feeling it every day. And it will totally transform your music experience and be an even more powerful, amazing thing than you ever even thought possible. Yeah. So it can strengthen your live music experience and it can help make your life even more magical too. Yeah. Win-win all around. Awesome. Yay. Well, I think think that's, that's it. Yeah. Go see live music in a way that works for you. Follow your passions. See if you can make some money at it in the at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Do things every day that can help release those happy chemicals into your brain. Yeah. Sing in the shower and wear tie-dyed underwear. Yeah. We got this. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, we hope you have the best day ever and we love you so much. Take care, everybody. Catch you next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We so appreciate you. And if you did love this episode, we would love it so much if you could share it with at least one friend that you think might love it as well. So just send it over to them. Let them know what you loved about it. It could just be like, hey, check this out or one word about how it inspired you. Also, wherever you are listening to your podcast, if you could just click that follow button right there, that would be super awesome. That helps to let the platform know that this is a podcast worth listening to. And also, if you are listening on Apple Pod, if you could not only follow us, but also leave a rating or a review, it would mean so much to us. That, again, is how more people are going to be able to find out about this podcast and really start to open their mind about the intersection between health and wellness and live music and why this experience is so important for our health and our well-being and our longevity. So again, thank you so much for listening. We are a part of Osiris Pod. You can find many more inspiring arts and music podcasts at osirispod.com. And if you would like to follow me, Leah, or Tara Lee, You can find us on Instagram. Tara Lee is at rocking life with two underscores and I am at Dr. Leah Taylor. So come follow us there. We love you so much. And thank you again for listening.